Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, the first time or leading up to that, maybe you haven't quite made the decision, but then there comes a point in time when you made that decision and somebody told you that you need to be on your knees or whatever and confess, you know, your sins and what have you and then ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Something like that has happened to most of us. I remember when it happened to me, uh, I was on my knees and I was asking God to forgive me. And it felt strange. That was really my first time to be on my knees and asking God to forgive me. It just didn't feel, I just kind of felt different. Asking God to forgive us. But the good news is that we find complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen? So if you look at, I want us to look at, uh, we won't be on your screen, but John, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, probably one of the dangers of every household is when the man, the husband, whatever, has the remote in his hands. That always seemed to be, and it isn't interesting, sometimes I'm supposed in some homes that when, when mom and dad walk into the room or whatever, there's a big scramble for who's going to get the remote first. But that's what I did. I had the remote first in my hand, and I was just channel searching, and... I came across this religious program, and there again, I'm not bearing all of the religious programs on television, but this one kind of made me sin. And I listened to the message. I thought, whoa, it sounded good, because he was talking about end-time prophecy, what's going on in the last days, and I understand that. I'm aware of it. I study it. I pray over that. I think, this is good. This is good. He's really making some really good points. So I was there, and then I went down there. I went down because he just shifted. He transitioned from sharing some good biblical teachings to now it's time to give. And he said to the audience, to us, this may be your last time to bring an offering because Jesus is coming again. This might be your last time for your atonement offering. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. Jesus waits, waits patiently for all to repent and be saved because he does not want even one to perish. We do not know. We do not know when Jesus is coming again. Jesus said, look for the signs. We know that. But that's all we know. We can't guess. We can't say this is your last. It might be. But then it might be another 2,000 years or 100 years. What's important is God is waiting patiently for all to come to him, you know, probably if, if, we, if we had our way, we'd want Jesus to come tomorrow. But if there's one other person out there that has not repented, 
then we should want that person to come to repentance and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus declared in John 8, 23 and 24, but he, com- he continued, You are from below, I am f- from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. All need to understand that sin separates us from God, and Jesus is the only one who can redeem and restore us to him. Jesus is the only way. And boy, do we get pushed back on that one in our society. But if you're in the Bible, you believe the Bible, and you believe it, then Jesus is the only way. Amen? So very briefly this morning, I want us to I have three points that I want to make. That was the intro. And the first one is God's desire is to forgive us. From Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Imagine with me for a moment. Our planet is a third planet from the sun. It's the fifth largest planet in our solar system with a, what, a diameter of what, what 9,700 miles at the equator. And this is merely a speck, and merely a tiny speck when compared to this massive universe that we live in. Consider this also. Our Milky Way galaxy, what extends, what, 100,000 miles across. So if you took a beam of light traveling 186 miles per second, it would take 100,000 years to go from one end, outer edge, to the other. Therefore, why would God, why would God, who created this massive world, this massive universe, want to care, love, and forgive little old you and me, especially when we sin time and time and time again. And Isaiah reminds us that God forgives us over and over and over, really, again. Not because we deserve it. We don't deserve it. We are sinners, but we receive forgiveness by his love and grace and mercy. Simply, God chose to forgive us. We didn't choose it. God chose to forgive us. We are called to respond to what he's given us. Amen? That's the plan of salvation. Number two, God's forgiveness is complete from Isaiah 118. Come now. Let this matter, let's settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. As proof that God has not given up on his people, he invited them and us to dialogue with him. We are called and we have the capacity to dialogue with God, you know, to be with our with our reason, our intellect. Isn't that something? To me, that is amazing. Again, come now, let us settle the matter, or another translation, come now, let us reason together. 
Consider Jesus is very concerned with our mindset. What we put into our heads through a TV or a movie or reading or just simply dialoguing with one another, who we hang out with, and life experiences. He's there, and he wants us to use our heads. And there's nothing wrong, but listen to this. There's nothing wrong, and I'm getting into the Pentecostal uh, ministries and what have you here. There's nothing wrong with emotionalism of coming to the Lord on our knees. There's nothing wrong in a worship service to to have some emotional feelings. A a song touches your heart or a prayer. You were praying and suddenly the spirit just moves inside of you and you have that wave of emotion, that wave of the spirit's presence or you have experienced a miracle or maybe one miracle after another and you are sky high. But remember this, Jesus doesn't want us to see him or seek him as just a miracle worker. You know, he fought against that as he walked with the disciples in the hills of Galilee. You know, we focus, sometimes we focus too much on the emotion of the miracle and we miss his real message. What is his real message? Can you define what Jesus' real message is? I hope you can. You know? It's Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand in Christ. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. We know all of that. That's Christianity 101. But we can't forget that. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we get away from that. We get too caught up in the emotions. You cannot... Stay on top of that mountain. You can't. Sometime you have to come down. You have to come down from that mountain. If you try to stay up there, you're going to be up and down like a roller coaster. So, so we go from the mountain, we come down. So there need, needs to be a season of reasonable faith must take place. God has given us brains. When you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't simply all emotion. It came into your head. You know, and then it, hopefully then it goes right into your heart. But it involves both. So sometimes we forget that. We cannot forget why the real message is not because all of us are going to die. You can be healed. But you're going to die if Jesus doesn't come again. Same with me. I can be healed for something, but I'm going to die. What is lasting is our relationship with Jesus Christ. What is lasting is the gospel. The amazing thing about the Assemblies of God is that we partner with the Evangelical Church. The Evangelical Church is not charismatic. They're not Pentecostal. So what do we share in common with the Evangelical community? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ died on the cross 
for all of us unworthy people as we repent and turn to him. That's our common denominator. When you get to heaven, the first, the first question maybe Jesus is going to ask you is not how many times you've been healed by a miracle, but what you've done with him. What have you done with Jesus? That's what he's going to be asking. What have you done for me? What have you done? How have you served me? How have you served me? It's awful quiet in here. I th- when I think of this scripture, I think of the crimson and the scarlet. You know, it really suggests, that image su- suggests uh, the, the blood stain of sin. Then you look at the snow and the, and the wool. What does that represent? That suggests a picture, it paints a picture of removal of sin through purification of Christ dying for us on that cross. That's complete forgiveness. Now I want us to go to number three. God, before we get into communion, God cancels sin. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And I want us to look at two, I call them absolute truths that come out of this passage. The one is the need of the cross. Verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The cross pronounced the the, the condemning doom of sin. God canceled our sin, the sins against us by Jesus Christ's death on the cross. We know that. You say, Pastor, that is nothing new. I know that. I know that. I've heard that a million times. It should always be repeated. Because one day when you stand before your Lord, you're going to be so, so thankful that he died for you on that cross. That's the only thing at that point that really matters is our relationship with him. Amen and amen. So he died on the cross for us. He raised us in new life with him, all demonstrating God's love for his sinful people. Now, number two is forgiveness. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God made a public spectacle of his enemies by Jesus' victory over death over death and our times of introspection and self-examination of our past deeds, our sins and all of our shortcomings comes the affirmation that we are forgiven, we are accepted by God through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. How many have heard that a hundred times? Raise your hand. Going a hundred times. How many heard it 200, 1,000 times? We say, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. We need to hear it again. You know why? Because so many, so many Bible, Bible-believing Christians struggle every day 
to live. They live in guilt. They live in fear. They live in anxiety. They live in, uh, they feel, in un, you know, they're not complete. They live in uncertainty. Without any real hope of being forgiven and reconciled to God. And that is a fact. It's one thing to say that we love Jesus, we believe this in our minds, but we don't walk the faith. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't walk it. We don't walk the talk. And I'm not putting anyone down here, but I know, I know what I know what I know. Through all these years of being a pastor, people are thinking, ah, oh, they really love the Lord, and they do. But they get hooked by Satan can get in there, and he can just mess us up. So it's always good to go back and review the basics, as Paul would say. Because what I just shared with you, the power of the cross says that's not true. That's not true. That's not true that I can be forgiven. That's not true that I can overcome guilt. That's not true that I can overcome anxiety. That's not true. That's not true. On and on and on it goes. However, my brothers and sisters in Christ, remember this. With one swipe of his nail-scarred hand, Jesus sweeps away our deepest, our deepest haunting sin. Think about that. He sweeps it away. That deep, the deepest sin you have, Christ can sweep it away. But you say, it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. Then you know what you have to do with that? Give it back to him. Get, get on your knees and give it back to him because he will heal you. That's a great miracle, isn't it? When you have been forgiven of a sin and you feel it, or something has been lifted from you, a fear, an anxiety, whatever it is, it's been lifted from you, that is a flat-out miracle. And that, my friends, that's the kind of Savior. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of forgiveness that we need. He wipes away our sins. He wipes away the guilt, everything, as we repent, accept, and trust his unmerited gift of forgiveness. We didn't earn it. He's given it to us. That is the kind of Savior that we all need. And this truth is found in our communion. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died for your guilt. He died for your sins. He died, he died for all your deeds that you've done, you, that you feel sorry. He's died for it all on that cross. I want us to meditate on that this, this morning. And just think about that. Think about communion. Think about when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He just didn't say those words to hear himself talk. He shared those words for all of history to remember 
his act on that cross. So Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night of his arrest. After taking bread, he broke it and said, this, this is my body broken, given to you for the, the sacrifice I'm going to make for you on that cross. Look, my body is broken. I did this for you. Eat this in remembering me, our gracious Heavenly Father. As we think about the bread and your body broken for us, Lord, we give you praise. Lord, how can we help us just to take this all in, this truth? That in you we have life. In you we have life, the abundant life that we can live in you each and every day. It's knowing that we are already, but not yet. Yet being with you in heaven. We give you praise. Same way, Jesus took the cup after supper. And he poured and said, this is my blood shed for you. For the forgiveness of sin. Drink. Drink of it in remembrance of me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we give you praise. For we remember the cross. We remember your sacrifices. We remember, Lord, your pain. We remember the humiliation thrown at you. We remember, Lord, that you created this universe. Yet you died on a cross for each and every one of us. My brothers and sisters, let us eat and drink in remembrance of him. thank you, Lord, for your love, your understanding, your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, not to hold back, not to hold back a repentance, not to hold back a confession. Help us to understand, Lord, that this communion reminds us 
that we can come to you at any time with any situation, no matter how bleak, how dark it is, Lord. We can come before you with confidence, knowing that we are covered by your shed blood on the cross. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have our prayer team. We'll pray with you if you uh, need, if you are in need of prayer. It's always good to share with a brother or sister in Christ some of our hurting needs. God is good. And so we close with this. How does it go, Susan? Go serve your king. God bless you. Have a great day. Go Bears.